Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 608 for the 2nd of September, 2018. This week, lynda.com used to have two membership plans at $25 and $35 a month, but now it's available only to LinkedIn Pro subscribers, $30 a month, unless you know the trick for obtaining free access. And you have access to a lot more from an organization with a presence near your home. In short circuits, Windows 95 was revolutionary. Every version of Windows since then has evolved from it. Those who'd like to remember the old days, or if you're too young to remember those days and wonder what the fuss was all about, you can download a Windows 10 app that runs a Windows 95 virtual machine. It's never too early to start teaching your children about internet security and safety. While you're doing that, you might improve your own practices too. In spare parts, only on the website, a new version of the Chrome browser will be released next week, and it all but kills Flash. There was a big U.S. Army cyber warfare exercise in Indiana this week, and Adobe has made the first grants from its $10 million Experience Design Development Fund. When LinkedIn acquired lynda.com, those with $30 a month premium memberships were granted free access. Those who don't need the benefits of a LinkedIn premium account, or who simply don't want any LinkedIn account, are now locked out of lynda.com. Or are they? Here's a quick answer. You probably have access to lynda.com and a lot more at no cost. The good news is that many library systems offer free access to lynda.com to all library members. And the access works from your home computer, not just computers in the library. So start by checking with your local library. If your local library doesn't offer access to lynda.com, visit the websites for other libraries in your area. I'm lucky to live in an area where 17 library systems have formed a consortium that allows them to share resources, books, CDs, DVDs, and a wide array of online sources. The library systems in the consortium range from those with just a single building, many with three or four branches, and the Columbus Metropolitan Library with 21 branches. Libraries often are willing to issue credentials even to those who live outside the main service area. The Columbus Metropolitan Library, for example, will issue a card to any resident of Ohio. The same is true for the library system where I live. So even if your local library doesn't offer access, you might be eligible for membership in a library that does. If your impression of libraries is that of a place that has only books, Maybe you haven't been to a library recently. You should visit one. You'll find plenty of books and CDs and DVDs, of course, but many of your library's resources are available from your home. Most libraries now offer digital downloads from OverDrive and various other resources from OCLC. Digital Downloads has print offerings, including popular fiction, nonfiction, reference, and technical books, 
Audio offerings include fiction, self-help, motivational, and classical music. Video offerings feature travel, instructional, concerts, classical feature films. Disney digital books are also available. Some audiobooks and classical music can even be burned to a CD. The digital offerings might surprise you with a wide array of content organized in databases. The number of available resources varies from one library system to another. Mine offers more than 150 databases. Here are some examples. 26 reference and research databases. For example, Oxford English Dictionary, Britannica Library, Merriam-Webster Unabridged Dictionary, and Worldmark Encyclopedia of the Nations. There are 20 arts, literature, and music databases, from the Classical Music Library to Hoopla Digital Video, Literature Online, Novelist, and Smithsonian Global Sound. I could check seven automotive, home, or hobby databases, for example, Chilton Library, with information for repairing both domestic and foreign cars and light trucks, all the way back to 1940. And the Consumer Reports website, also a home improvement reference center. There are 11 newspaper and magazine databases, such as the Columbus Dispatch Archive, the National Geographic Magazine Archive, and the New York Times Historical Newspapers back to 1851. And 24 school and homework databases, examples there, Britannica Library for Children, Digital Downloads for Teens, and World Book Online. One of the more remarkable offerings is the Oxford English Dictionary. Subscribing to the OED's online service would cost nearly $300 a year, although first-year subscribers usually get a pretty big break. The OED is considered to be the main historical dictionary of the English language, published by the Oxford University Press. The dictionary traces the historical development of the English language. As such, it is a comprehensive research for scholars and academic researchers. And the OED describes usage in its many variants of English used around the world. A second edition, published in 1989, has 20 volumes, consists of 21,728 pages. But I started this article to be about lynda.com, so let's take a look and see what's available there now. First, I have to note that the quality of programs is good, very good in fact, but it seems not to be quite what it was when Linda Weinman owned the company. There's a lot of value here, nonetheless. There are specific tracks for several learning paths. Examples, 3D animation, photography, illustration, website design, marketing, and small business management. Users can select a specific track and view programs by various instructors or use the search function to find a specific lesson or a specific instructor. The lynda.com library offers selections such as audio and music, computer-assisted design, marketing, photography, website design. Topics range from character animation and game design to textures and visual effects and programs designed for specific applications like Photoshop or After Effects or Excel. Prior to the LinkedIn acquisition, lynda.com offered standard and premium subscriptions. The primary difference was that premium subscribers could download exercise files to follow along with the instructor. Standard subscriptions cost $25 a month, premium subscriptions $35 a month. The library accounts are premium subscriptions, so users can download the exercise files. 
It's also possible to search for programs by specific authors. I spend quite a bit of time in the photography training session. San Francisco photographer Ben Long is one of my favorites, but there are dozens of instructors who have provided content. In some cases, just a single program from an author, but some of the more prolific authors have many programs. Richard Harrington and Chris Orwig both have more than 90. Deke McClelland and Tim Gray have nearly 40 each. And Adobe's Julianne Cost has more than a dozen. So if you want to learn about almost anything, lynda.com is a good starting point. And if you don't find what you need there, check your library's other resources. In short circuits, Windows 95 was the first, and so far the only, revolutionary version of Windows. Windows 3.11 was the last of the DOS-based windowing environments that sat atop the old DOS. Lines of people queued up on August 24, 1995, the release date, to buy Windows 95. Because it offered much improved support for graphics, Microsoft partnered with Corel to highlight those improvements with a new version of Corel Draw, released on the same day as Windows 95. The partnership foundered several years later when Corel developed an office suite to compete with Microsoft's. The graphical user interface in Windows 95 had features not seen before on Windows. Robust memory management, at least robust for the time, was introduced and the operating system introduced preemptive multitasking. This is something Apple was unable to match until OS X was released several years later. Plug-and-play features, although primitive, were introduced along with the taskbar and the start button. By the way, Microsoft's extended support for Windows 95 ended on December 31, 2001. If you still have an old Windows 95 CD or set of floppies, and yes, it did come either way, CD or floppies, if you still have one of those hanging around, you could set up a virtual machine and load the old operating system there just to see how far we've come in 23 years. Or you could download Felix Riesenberg's Windows 95 emulator. The emulator installs as a virtual machine, so it won't interfere with the existing Windows installation. The app now even supports floppy disks. Yeah, I know your computer probably doesn't have a floppy disk drive, but you can tell the operating system to mount a disk image file as Drive A. The download is small, it's only about 150 megabytes, so the download and installation will take only a few minutes. This isn't limited to Windows 95 users, though. There are variants for Linux systems and Mac OS computers. You want to run Windows 95 on your new Mac? Yeah, go ahead and do that. Networking is not supported, at least not yet, but you'll find Minesweeper, Solitaire, and Paint. Riesenberg is working on the network stack and hopes to get networking functional before too long. Also wants to get the version of Internet Explorer that came with Windows 95 running. If you'd like to give it a try, and remember, don't expect too much from an emulator for an operating system that was developed 23 years ago. But given that caveat, you can download it from GitHub. There is a link 
to GitHub from the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. Virtual private network provider Nord recently released a useful article for parents about how to teach their children to be safe on the internet. It's a worthwhile read because it might remind you to be more cautious yourself, and it may offer reminders of things you've forgotten about. It's a seven-step plan that begins with the importance of setting a good example that your children can follow. Do you share too much on social media or check your phone just a little too often? You'll be reminded to keep yourself informed about threats by reviewing information from reliable cybersecurity sites. The article reminds us that it's never too early. If your child already knows how to play a video on YouTube or is able to download a gaming app without your help, the article says, they should also learn how to do it safely. Few people like rules without context, though, and children are no exception to that. Step three is to explain why safe behavior is important. When people understand why you want them to do something, they're much more likely to follow through with the correct behavior. The fourth point addresses the benefits and dangers of social media. Points to remember and teach include not accepting friend requests from people you don't know, not sending your pictures to strangers, making sure that only your friends can see what you post on Facebook by default, turning on Timeline Review to check posts you're tagged in before they appear on your Facebook timeline, not including addresses and other personal information in your profile, and not using social media logins to authorize your apps. Passwords are step five. Create strong passwords together, the article says. And if you don't have a method for creating strong, memorable passwords, learn one and then teach your children the technique. Maybe you could make it a game. Step six involves managing privacy settings. Most social media, messaging, or email services allow their users to manage their privacy settings. So sit down with your children, the article suggests, and adjust the settings to make the profile as safe and private as possible. And the final step addresses free public Wi-Fi. I've written previously about installing a virtual private network application on every mobile device and making sure it's turned on when you're using a public Wi-Fi system. Nord does provide a very good VPN. If you'd like to read the full article, and I think it's a good one, visit the Nord VPN website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. And also on the TechBiter Worldwide website, this week's Spare Parts. A new version of the Chrome browser will be released in the coming week. It all but kills Flash. There was a big U.S. Army cyber warfare exercise in Indiana this week. And Adobe has made its first grants from a $10 million experience design development fund.
Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.